Jeremiah had a very similar ministry for a while where Jeremiah went and nobody listened nobody was willing to hear the voice of the Lord out of the prophet Jeremiah and he got into all sorts of trouble in the process but he would honor the Lord by being faithful to the message and I'll be honest with you here at Crossroads as long as I am the pastor here we will always preach the word of God no matter how out of fashion it may become in our culture God wants you to know who he is As we'll hear in today's message, God went to great lengths to show the people in Egypt who He is through the miraculous. We love science because of our need to know the outcome of events in our lives. It can be tempting to latch on to signs that give us hope. But God wants us to cling to Him, not the miracles, the message that they bring. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, What God Will Do. Sometimes when people are weighed down, they're not capable of doing it. Doesn't mean we still shouldn't encourage them, but you need to give people the grace and the space to be where they are. Oftentimes, as Christians, we want to help people so much, but we don't even realize that we're hurting them. We go to someone's side in a time of need, and we want to help them, but we really don't see them. We want to feel good about what we're doing. I've learned oftentimes as a pastor, I tell young pastors all the time, when you go to a hospital to visit somebody, you should go there and prepare not to say anything. And if you are going to say something, you should probably say it to God. Because we don't know what people need. And oftentimes, we want to try and make them be happy when right now it's just, it's a bitter pill. And really what they need is just need someone to sit there and cry with them. So sometimes we want to help people and we don't even realize that It's not time for that. And I just bring that out as a point of ministry because oftentimes we want to help people and in going to help them, we actually make it harder for them. And it's amazing. They couldn't hear it. I mean, what Moses told them is totally amazing and they were under such stress and bondage, they just couldn't even hear it. They couldn't even wrap their hearts around it because they were consumed with something else. Now... Look at what happens. Now in verse 10, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. See what happens now. The Lord says, the people didn't hear, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, well, you know, it's like Moses thinks that the Lord doesn't see what's going on. Like he's a fill him in. You know, like, like the Lord missed Sports Center that night. So he didn't know that the Lakers finally won a game against the Knicks. They didn't know, he didn't know it. He's trying to fill him in. 
And notice what he says. He's like, the children of Israel, he's like, my own people didn't listen to me, and you are going to have me go to Pharaoh? For I am someone of uncircumcised lips. I'm happy that that phrase we don't use very commonly anymore. But the idea of uncircumcised lips means cutting away what is unnecessary. So he's saying, look, my words, like, I just don't got it going on. There's a lot of superfluous things that go on. So how am I going to talk to the, to the Pharaoh? How am I going to do it? And then the Lord simply says, he gives them a commandment for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh. The Lord's like, look, I have something for you to tell Pharaoh and my people. Okay, so that's where we end. And then all of a sudden, in verse 14, we get a total curveball. Because look at what you have. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. This is verse 14. Were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul or something like that, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137 years. The sons of Gershon were Libni, Shimi, Libni and Shimi, good boys' names, don't miss those. According to their families, the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, and the years of his life of Kohath were 133 years. And the sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. I like that one. Mushi. It's good. These are the families of Levi, according to their generations. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. The sons of Ishar were Korah. Nepheg and Zikri, the sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elazaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took for himself Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab, sister of Nashon, his wife, and bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abisath. These were the families of the Korathites. Eleazar, Aaron's sons took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel as wife, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites according to their families. These are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. Now, how many of you think that that genealogy is completely misplaced? You can be honest, it's church. We expect it. It seems out of place, right? It's like they have a command and now all of a sudden you break out for a genealogy. So when you see that, you ask yourself, well, why is it in there? And you all came to church to find out why, right? So let me explain to you why it's in there. Notice what goes on. Where did it end? It ended with... God calling Moses and Aaron to speak to the children of Israel and to speak to Pharaoh. Classic priestly function. The mediator between God and people. Right? So, then what happens? We start this genealogy. Starts with Jacob's firstborn Reuben, goes to Simeon, and then to Levi. And at Levi, we get stuck. Why? Because you find out that Moses 
and Aaron were descendants of Levi, right? So you get all these different names, and I could give you verses and things for this, but really, if you want to do some more research on it, First Chronicles chapter 6 is a huge analogy to this. You see, it's almost the exact same things. But if you notice, as it goes down, it gets to Moses and to Aaron. It speaks about Amram and Jochebed, who were Moses' parents. You find that they are both from the tribe of Levi. And then it ends up with Phineas. Why? Because as we're going to read through the Bible, you're going to find that God is going to ask the tribe of Levi to be the priestly tribe. So the Levites function as priests for the children of Israel with the primary division of Kohath, which we get the last name Cohen from, which dealt specifically with the acts of sacrifice within the temple, and then also the Gershon and Merari. So you're going to find, as we get later in the book of Exodus, that the Levites are going to get specific jobs based on the fact that they're from the tribe of Levi. We find Moses and Aaron being from that tribe. And ultimately, notice when it gets to the sons of Aaron, it becomes very, very important because we learn that the sons of Aaron, in verse 23, Nadab and Abihu, or Abihu, depending on how you like to syllabify it. And then, of course, Eliezer and Ithamar, We know once you get into the book of Leviticus that Nadab and Abihu are going to die before the presence of the Lord. And ultimately, Phinehas is going to take a place of prominence because of the way he reacted in Numbers chapter 26 and 25. Because Phinehas is going to be absolutely zealous for holiness. And so what this genealogy does is it shows us that Moses and Aaron, not only were they called to be mediators between God and people, but their whole lineage is going to be mediators between God and people, culminating in, of course, Phineas, who's going to take a a very strong place by the time you get into the end of the book of Numbers. So this genealogy is important to establish that Moses and Aaron are from the priestly line, the Levitical line, and that ultimately... Aaron's son, Phineas, who is going to be very prominent, is also from this lineage. So that's why it sits in there. We see Moses and Aaron acting in a priestly function. And notice at the end of this, it says over and over again, this is the same Moses and Aaron. This is the same Moses. Just to show you, they're putting it into context that they are from the tribe of Levi. That's really why that's all there. Does that make sense? Now notice in verse 28. And it came to pass... On the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? Chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, notice this. 
In verse 1, the Lord tells Moses, I have made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron, your brother, as prophet. Now, notice it says, as God. It doesn't say, I've made you God. Okay, we need to put that in place because you read that and you think, what is he talking? He's saying, look, I'm putting you in a place of authority over Pharaoh. Your brother Aaron is going to be a prophet as a mouthpiece of Moses. So he sets this up where it's Moses as God. Aaron is the mouthpiece, the prophetic voice to Pharaoh. And notice, you shall speak to Pharaoh all the things that I tell you. And then again, God reminds him that Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. He's not going to heed your voice. Now, I got to be honest with you. If God gives you a ministry and tells you that no one's going to listen to you, you just got to hold on to your seats. Because he tells Moses, I'm, you're going to go, Pharaoh's not going to listen. In a lot of ways, Jeremiah had a very similar ministry for a while. Where Jeremiah went and nobody listened. Nobody was willing to hear the voice of the Lord out of the prophet Jeremiah. And he got into all sorts of trouble in the process. But he honored the Lord by being faithful to the message. And I'll be honest with you, here at Crossroads, as long as I am the pastor here, we will always preach the word of God, no matter how out of fashion it may become in our culture. We will never, ever, ever stray from it. Ever. Okay? Just the way Pastor Billy never strayed from it, we are not going to stray. We believe the Bible. And yeah, maybe it isn't as fashionable as it once was. But what's amazing is it's not fashionable. Nobody's ever read it either. That's the irony of all ironies. It's like saying you don't like a band and you've never actually heard one of their songs. It's an amazing thing. In the most educated culture, there's such vast ignorance about the scriptures. People don't even take the time to read it. I just don't believe that stuff. They don't even read it. But notice, Moses and Aaron didn't shy away. Even though God was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh was not going to heed. Notice, he says in verse 4 that Pharaoh will not heed you. I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt. I'm going to bring my people out. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I like that. Not only was the witness for the children of Israel, the witness was also for the Egyptians. He's saying, the Egyptians are going to know that I'm the Lord by what's going to happen. By these plagues that we're going to start studying. Notice we get a, a date here, a timestamp in verse 7, that Moses is 80 and Aaron is 83. So Aaron is Moses' older brother by three years. That's how he made it through the uh, death by exposure of the sons. And Moses' life is neatly broken up into 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and then 40 years being used by the Lord. So we're going to find that Moses is going to go home to be with the Lord at the young age of 120. Now, I'm going to close with verses 8 to 13, which is going to set us up for next week. Look at what happens. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them 
as the Lord had said. So now Moses and Aaron, they get before Pharaoh and the Lord says, listen, you're going to have to show him a sign. So Aaron's going to throw his rod down. That wooden walking stick is going to become a serpent. Remember, the Lord gave that to Moses when he was talking to him in the beginning in, in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. So he gets before him. They talk to him. Aaron throws the rod down. It becomes a serpent. Notice that Pharaoh's not impressed. He calls out the wise guys and the sorcerers. And notice, they do the same thing. It's fascinating. They could do it too. But the difference is, is that Moses and Aaron were doing it supernaturally by the hand of God. These wise guys and sorcerers were doing it using enchantments. What does that mean? Miracles are part of Satan's arsenal too. Don't miss that. We have a tendency, especially in our culture, to flock towards the miraculous. And what the Bible teaches is that the miraculous should not sway us, even though it may be exciting to watch. You can find it all over the Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, speaking of the Antichrist. Listen to what it says. The coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved. Notice, the miraculous is cool, and it could authenticate a message, but we have to find out what's the message. And not all messages deserve to be authenticated and held as true. What you find here is that this one supernatural miracle of Moses and Aaron, the wise guys could do it too. Now, one point of biblical information as we close. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, about these wise guys and sorcerers. It says this, Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses... So do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Do you notice that? It says that Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. I remember reading that and being like, I never read those names before in the Bible. And I read a lot of commentaries, and they'd say, oh, Janus and Jambres, the Apostle Paul must have been full of the Holy Spirit to know that they were the magicians who resisted Moses in Pharaoh's court. But then, as I, I've told you guys before, I love to read the writings of the rabbis. It's something I do as a hobby. And then you read in the rabbinical, the oral law, according to um, Ginsburg's Legends of the Jews, book two, section four, for those of you who like to be technical, it says this. It says that Janus and Jambres were the prophet Balaam's sons, and they worked in Pharaoh's court. Fascinating. So if you ever wonder where those names come from, according to the oral law, Janus and Jambres were Balaam's sons who we're going to read about in the book of Numbers. And these were the men who were using these enchantments to make the rod as a serpent. But notice whose serpent is stronger. Notice what it says. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So you ever see like that bumper sticker, my kid beat up your honor student? That's where they got it from, right here. Aaron's rod beat up the wise guy's rods. And then in verse 13, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. 
God said that Pharaoh was not going to listen. He was not going to heed them. They did it. It didn't change anything. Now notice, had Pharaoh let the children of Israel go, none of this would have happened. Okay? Because you need to put that in place. Because when you start talking about plagues and judgments and stuff, everyone says, what kind of a God would do this? All Pharaoh had to do was listen. Just let him go. But because Pharaoh would not, now the Lord has to act. And brothers and sisters, I want to close with this application for all of us. Listen, when God says don't do something, don't do it. Because if you do do it, then the natural outcome of what you're going to do is going to happen. That's what happens. It's like God says don't, and then if you do, and then all these bad things happen, you say, God, why are you doing this to me? It's like, "Uh uh-uh, you did this to yourself. Don't blame shift. You did it to yourself. So when God says, I want you to do something, just do it. Just do it. Because what happens is all Pharaoh has to do is let the children of Israel go, and none of the next five chapters is going to happen. And no one's going to get hurt. Nothing's going to die. Everything is going to be happy, happy, joy, joy, fun in the sun in Egypt. But he will not, and all this stuff is going to happen. But don't miss that. Because everyone wants to say, oh, you know, God must be so angry. Why does he do these things? It's like Pharaoh just had to listen. And because he didn't, all these things are going to transpire. And so we want to learn. The Bible says that these things were written for our admonition. So I want to admonish you. If there are areas in your life right now that you know are against things that God has asked you to do, I want you not only to make a New Year's resolution to change, I want you to actually change. I want you to say, God, help me to make better decisions. And you get a a brother, a sister, accountability partner. Because when you do what you know you ought not to do, you're going to get what you deserve. And God's like, look, I don't want that for you. I want you to do other things that are going to bring blessings and not harm. But God's a gentleman that way. I don't get it. If I was God, I'd just impose myself and make things stop. But God has his ways of doing things. And so we need, we need to be obedient. We need to learn from Pharaoh because when we make bad decisions and bad things happen, there's nothing worse than me like, God, what are you doing? God's like, I'm not, I'm just letting the natural outcomes of your actions happen. And for those of you who didn't grow up in the church and got away from the Lord or never were with the Lord, we know what that's like. We have all sorts of examples of what that looks like in our lives. And I'm one of those people. I have long lists of examples of I did all these things that I shouldn't have done and I got this at the end. So let's learn from Pharaoh as we're going to embark beginning in chapter 7, verse 14, and we're going to start looking at those 10 plagues. And it's going to be interesting because each one of those plagues actually goes against an Egyptian deity that the people worship, showing that God, just as Aaron's rod serpents were more powerful than the wise guys' rod serpents, at each step, a plague is going to go against a God that the Egyptians worship, showing that Yahweh is stronger, greater, more powerful. Pastor Daniel spoke at length about how we view the miraculous to consider that not all miracles are of God. Moses and Aaron could perform a miracle that sorcerers could replicate. It authenticates a message, but we need to know what the message is. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. 
Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. God does amazing things when we simply listen to His Word. He transforms and shapes us into His image as we are exposed to the Bible. Maybe after listening today, someone specific is on your heart. You know that this message is something they need to hear. Please log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. You can share this message to your Facebook timeline, tweet a link, or even embed the audio wherever you'd like. So log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and share this message with your family, friends, and neighbors. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel begins the journey through the plagues of Egypt. We'll find that a lot of these plagues are described in Revelation as well, underscoring the thread of continuity that runs throughout the Scripture. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series entitled The Passover. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio. Simply put, journey.